Hello and welcome to number 16 of the Warriors Cry. I'm James Edwards, your host. So I just did a podcast last week talking about um, how selfish I am and how self-centered I am. And to be honest, I've actually spent a lot of time this week just kind of uh, diving in and researching and studying different kinds of uh, ideas. And one thing that I came across was that my idea of what the gospel is has been wrong pretty much my entire life. Um, So let me preface that by just saying that uh, when I was raised, uh, I was kind of a a pretty dark kid. Um, I was into kind of some crazy stuff. And uh, to be honest, you know, when it when I look back at it, like, I don't think that I was really as bad as what I, you know, picture in my head nowadays. But uh, the fact of the matter is, is that I was, you know, I was uh, into, you know, Satanism and, and just some weird stuff uh, when I was a kid. And I don't know if it was necessarily uh, as involved as what some might call Satanism or whatever, but regardless, it was. Um, and when I came to Christ, I came to Christ in a Lutheran church. And, you know, the funny thing is, is that the Lutheran church was actually a spirit-filled, charismatic Lutheran church. <clears throat> and I was raised going every week to church, and we did communion all the time. Like, every time we got together, we did communion. Um, and the other thing was is that every week we had a section of four scriptures uh, that they would read. Uh, three would be from different parts of the Bible, uh, you know, and one might be from an epistle of Paul or or whatever, and then there would always be a gospel reading, and the gospel was always taken out of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. So in my early Christianity, I thought the gospel was Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I thought that was the good news. Um, And, you know, and and I'll be honest with you, I still kind of struggle with the idea that it's not. Um, I struggle with the idea that that the parts of the Scripture that reveal the gospel aren't necessarily in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is just a historical account of Jesus and what he came and who he is and what he came to do. And um, I've come to the realization over the last little while that the gospel is simply who we are in Christ and that that is good news. Um, you know, that that we have looked at ourselves as disgusting and not worthy of uh, of the cross for so long. And, you know, in our own flesh, you're right, we're not. We're not uh, worthy of what Jesus did. However, in Jesus's eyes, in God's eyes, he loved us so much that he came so that we could be brought back to the place that we were in the Garden of Eden. You know, when you look back at the Garden of Eden, you see that, you know, they were in perfect unity with the Father, and uh, there was no division amongst them. And this podcast has been uh, dedicated to unity in the body of Christ for so long that I've kind of lost track of what unity looks like. I don't know if it's necessarily that we need to be unified as a body, more so that we need to be unified in Christ. So, Going back to kind of my thought here, um, a friend of mine was list, uh, sent me a uh, 
audiobook, uh, The Mystical Union by John Crowder. And I've really been getting a kick out of John Crowder this last two weeks, three weeks. And I've been watching a lot of his videos and uh, I've been reading a lot of his stuff and listening to a lot of his books. And in fact, I'm going to uh, his mystical school in January in, um, in Charlotte, actually. And um, I don't know what to expect, and I don't know um, if I fully believe everything that he says. Um, I can't say I do totally, um, but that's also part of my theological mindset. My theological mindset is causing me to kind of question things and to analyze things. And, um, and I'm coming to a place in my life where I just kind of look at my life and view every time that I've put limits on God, like when I've prayed, uh, believing that something would happen and it didn't happen and, uh, or something worse happened or whatever, that I'm actually putting a block on God because I've actually put a block on what God saw in me. You know, you think of the prodigal son and the prodigal son, uh, left his home. He left his father. He left his brother and he went out with loose living and wasted all of his inheritance. And he saw himself as disgusting and despicable and uh, not worthy of his, his father's finer things. But when he was a ways off, his father saw him and his father ran to him and clothed him with this finest robe and put a signet ring on his finger that gave him full authority of the family again. Think about that as us. You know, this wasn't just a parable. This was... Um, what was lost will be found, you know. Uh, in the same chapter in the, the Luke account, uh, and even in the other uh, verses in Scripture where it talks about the prodigal son, um, there are other Scriptures in there where Jesus reveals other uh, parables that are very similar, like the parable of the lost coin, um, the parable of the lost sheep, um, and things like that. Um, I've been reading the book Logic of His Love by Francois Dutrois. Um, and it's basically a little pamphlet. It's not very big, um, but it's a sermon that he's preached. Uh, I'm not really sure when, um, but it's a sermon he preached years ago. And um, it was, well, January of 1990. I was only 10 years old at that time. Anyway, in that... Um, he comes across with a point that I really thought was kind of interesting. And he talks about, um, can a leopard really change his spots? And, uh, the verse that he pulls that from is actually, uh, trying to find it here. Jeremiah thirteen twenty three. can a leopard change its spots? Then you, then may you do also do good who are accustomed to do evil. So, how can we change our old nature in and of ourselves? We can't, but Jesus did. Jesus came and he died on the cross so that our nature would be destroyed and we'd be co-crucified on the cross with Jesus. And that is the gospel, that our old selves have passed away and we are alive anew in Christ Jesus, and that we need to look at ourselves as being fully sanctified and fully forgiven and fully in God's grace. Now, this is not a license to go out and continue sinning. Um, certainly not. This is not a license to go out and just sin so that grace may abound. And I'm brought to Romans 6. Romans 6, uh, I'm going to read out of the New American Standard 
um, Romans 6, and then I'm going to read out of a different translation that some of you may have never heard of uh, by Francois Dutois, uh, the Mirror Translation. Um, and I'm going to kind of share my thoughts about this uh, as I'm reading. So in the New American Standard Version of the Bible, it says in Romans 6, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might be in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who died is free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting your members, uh, the members of your body, as sin to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. What then shall we sin because there is, uh, we are not under the law, but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So in the book Mystical Union, I think it was in chapter 1, John Crowder uh, basically stated that if we read Romans 6 every day, um, for a year, that our theology would change. 
And um, I haven't been as faithful as I wanted to be in reading Romans 6 every day, but I've, I've listened to it a few times since hearing that part in uh, the audio book that I'm listening to, Mystical Union. Um, and then I've read it a few times. But then yesterday, I opened up the Mirror Bible, uh, which is the translation by Francois Dutrois. Um, it's a paraphrase of key uh, verses in the Bible, in the New Testament. Um, and uh, basically, he takes it back to the original Greek and puts the tense on it that is intended from the original Greek. So, you know, I started reading it yesterday, um, but I didn't read all the way through it because I was at work. And um, so I'm going to read the whole chapter from the mirror translation um, directly for you guys. So we're going to experience it together for the first time fully. Um, so let me turn to it. It's the mirror translation from Francois, Francois Dutrois. Um, <clears throat> and that's Romans 6 in the mirror Bible. Verse 1. It is not possible to interpret grace as a cheap excuse to continue sin. It sounds to some that we are saying, let's carry on sinning so that grace may abound. How ridiculous is that? How can we be dead and alive to sin at the same time? What are, what are we saying then in baptism if we are not declaring that, the, that we understand our union with Christ in his death? Verse 4, baptism pictures how we were co-buried together with Christ in his death, and then it powerfully illustrates how in God's mind we were co-raised with Christ into a new lifestyle. We were like seeds planted together in the same soil to be co-quickened to life. If we were included in his death, we are equally included in his resurrection. We perceive that our old lifestyle was co-crucified together with him. This concludes that the vehicle that accommodated sin in us was scrapped and rendered entirely useless. Our slavery to sin has come to an end. If nothing else stops you from doing something wrong, death certainly does. Faith sees us joined in his death and alive with him in his resurrection. It is plain for you all to see that death lost its dominion over Christ in his resurrection. He need not ever die again to prove a further point. His appointment was death with death was once off. As far as sin is concerned, he is dead. The reason for his death was to take away the sin of the world. His life now exhibits our union with the life of God. This reasoning is equally relevant to you. Calculate the cross. There can, be, there can only be one logical conclusion. He died your death. That means you died to sin and are now alive in God. Sin consciousness can never again feature in your future. You are in Christ Jesus. His lordship is the authority of this union. You are under no obligation to sin if it has no further rights to dominate your dead declared body. Therefore, let it not entice you to obey its lusts. Do not let the members of your body lie around loose and unguarded in the vicinity of unrighteousness, where sin can seize it and use it as a destructive weapon against you. 
Rather, place yourself in readiness to God like someone resurrected from the dead and present your whole person as a weapon of righteousness. Thus, you are reinforcing God's grace claim on mankind in Christ to place its readiness in the vicinity of. Verse 14, sin was your master while the law was your measure. Now grace rules. Being under grace and not under the law most certainly does not mean that you have a license to sin. As much as you once gave permission to sin to trap you in its spiral of spiritual death to enslave you to its dictates, the obedience that faith ignites now introduces a new rule, rightness with God. To this we willingly yield ourselves. The content of teaching that your heart embraced has set a new standard to become the pattern of your life. The grace of God ended sin's dominance. Sin once again called the shots. Now righteousness rules. I back up, verse 18. It says, sin once called the shots. Now righteousness rules. I want to say... It as plainly as possible. You willingly offered your faculties to obey sin. You stained your body with unclean acts and allowed lawlessness to gain supremacy in all of your conduct. In exactly the same way, I now encourage you to present your faculties and person to the supremacy of righteousness to find unrestricted expression in your lifestyle. You were sins, slaves, without any obligation to righteousness. I know you are embarrassed now about the things you used to do with your body. I mean, was it worth it? What reward or return did you get but spiritual death? Sin is a cul-de-sac. Consider your life now. There are no outstanding debts. You owe sin nothing. A life bonded to God yields the sacred expression of his character and completes you in your experience. What life was always meant to be. The reward of law of the law is death, but the gift of grace is life. The bottom line is this. Sin employs you like a soldier for its cause and rewards you with death. God's, God's gift to you with the highest quality of life, all wrapped up in Christ Jesus our Lord. So it was kind of a hard read, and I know I kind of messed up a little bit on that, but the, the point of that is to say that we've been co-crucified with Christ, and if we died with Christ to sin, we no longer have to sin. And that is a huge revelation for me because, you know, I've struggled time and time again with different things. And I've always, um, at those points, felt like, you know, well, God's forgiven me, so if I do it, you know, I'm okay. And, and I am but I'm not supposed to do that. Like the translation mirror said, sin is a cul-de-sac. When you sin, you go around in circles and circles and circles and circles and circles. There's no end to it. And if you sin, you present your body to that sin and you continue to sin because you got caught in that cul-de-sac. And the only way out of the cul-de-sac is one way, and that's through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. That is the gospel. The gospel is that he died on the cross and we died on the cross with him. We died with him. 
we were buried with him in the grave, and we were resurrected with him from the grave, and we now have victory over the grave because we are co-conquerors with Christ. We are more than conquerors with Christ over sin and over death. We don't have to sin. We don't even have to even give it room in our life. And the hardest part for me to understand this while listening to John Crowder and other people who have been kind of saying this same message that I've known pretty much all my life, but I've kind of resisted it. But what I've heard was, you know, we don't have to sin, but then in my mind, in my fleshly mind, in my mind, I keep thinking, well, how in the world do you do that? But I'll be honest with you. Every time the temptation of sin has come along, I, what the word is, uh, I, I metanoia, um, the Greek word for where we get our word repent from, metanoia, it actually means to change your mind. So whenever I actually have an issue where all of a sudden I see sin and that sin is trying to urge me or draw me in to its cul-de-sac, I immediately metanoia. I change my mind. I'll, I'll mention this. Yesterday while at work, I had a coworker uh, there was a, uh, in the store who was just raving about a very attractive woman that came into the store. And... Um, and he was just raving about how beautiful she was and how gorgeous she was. And my mind saw that temptation. My mind saw it, but I metanoia. I changed my mind. And I just shook my head, turned around, and walked off. I did not present my body to be implements of that sin, to be implements of that cul-de-sac, so to speak. So instead of focusing and dwelling in that sin, I walked off. I didn't dwell in it. Now, am I perfect in and of myself yet? No. Uh, and, and, and the idea that I can work my way to being perfect is anathema. There's no possible way that I can get to perfection. If you think about it this way, we are already perfected in Christ Jesus. We are already perfected because of Christ's death on the cross. We are already dead to sin. We have already been raised from the dead, and we no longer have to sin. As far as sin is concerned, we are dead. Just like in, in the mirror translation. And even in the New American Standard Version that I read a minute ago, you could see the same theme, right? Because it was all translated from the same source material. The difference is, is that some that translated it translated it with different language that may not be used today or that may not be as understood today as it was when it was written. If you go back to the 1940s and you try to have a conversation in English, the things that we may say nowadays might perplex them from that time. And the things that they may say back then, the slang words and the things that they may have utilized to try to present a point, would be complete anathema to us nowadays, right? So what I've actually found out and what I've realized is that instead of reading just one translation. We should read the same text in multiple translations. You know, go back and read the New American Standard. Go back and read the, read the 1611 King James. Go and read the New King James. Um, read the English Standard Version. Read all the different various translations. 
Um, because honestly speaking, man is man and we are fallible. Even though the Bible may be infallible, the actual translations may not be, right? And, and, and that's not saying that there was a bad intention on the person that translated that Bible. I've gotten into so many debates over the years with people saying, well, you should stay away from the message uh, paraphrase of the Bible, or you should stay away from the NIV, or you should stay away from this or that. Uh, but yet they hold their particular version higher than everything else. You've got the King James-only crowd that holds their version higher than anything else, and that translation was written in 1611. If a, if a conversation with someone from 1940 would, would um, produce fruit that was confusing for the person that lives in 2017 and for the person that lived in 1940, how much more would that language be confusing to someone in 1611 um, if we talked like we do now, does that make sense? So um, I am completely enamored with this idea uh, of the gospel, right? The gospel is Christ and him crucified. Paul wrote in his epistles, he wrote that I don't come to you with fancy words or fancy doctrines or fancy things and thoughts. I come to you with only Christ and him crucified. And quite frankly, he taught that Christ died and we died to that sin at the exact same time that Christ was on the cross. We died at the exact same time because Christ died once for all. Sin has been dealt with. We no longer have to sin. We no longer even have to look at it. We can just turn around and walk away, right? We don't have to restrict ourselves and hide ourselves and whatever. We can still be respectful and nice, but at the same time, we can restrict that cul-de-sac in our lives, right? We can kill it because we are dead to it, right? The, the domination that that once held over us no longer holds over us for those in Christ Jesus. We have been co-crucified. We have been baptized in the blood of Christ. We have been raised from the dead with Christ. And now we are seated together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Think about that for a moment. Think about that for a moment. So last week I came to you and I talked about uh, how selfish I was and self-centered I was and, and, and all of that kind of stuff. And all of that was true right? All of that was true. All of that stuff is a result of me giving in to sin of self-doubt and fear, and fear is not a fruit of the Spirit. Fear is not, but love and joy is. So we can't let fear rob our joy. We cannot let fear rob our uh our kindness and our happiness. We cannot let fear rule us because when fear rules us, then we feel like we are not good enough. Then we feel like we are destructive. Then we feel like we aren't good enough. In and of myself, I am not, but I am dead to that, right? I am dead to that. I was crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but I live to Christ. So 
that's kind of my final point. I just wanted to share that this morning uh, with you because I was kind of dwelling on it. Um, I still haven't finished reading um, Francois, Francois Dutrois' Logic of His Love. It's only 31 pages of uh, writing, but it, it's so meaty and it's so hard to take because it's so, uh, it's so deep. It's so deep. It's so much deeper than anything I've ever really read or listened to. Um, and it's all true. I mean, this guy, he, everything he says in this little pamphlet is backed up by like 20 different verses. And, um, you know, I believe that God still speaks in the church. I still believe that God speaks in the church. I don't believe that uh, he is boxed in, particularly by Scripture. But I don't believe that when he does speak, that he will contradict Scripture. I believe that the God of the Bible is the same God that is alive today and that he's not going to say something different than what was in the Word. However, God does a new thing every day. His mercies are new every day. His mercies are new for us than they were for Paul. I mean, think about that. So anyway... I love you guys, and I just want to share with you just real quickly. Go to facebook.com forward slash the Warriors Cry, uh, facebook.com forward slash the Warriors Cry. You can like our Facebook page. You can go to patreon.com forward slash the Warriors Cry to support the podcast and the podcast network. Um, you can support us with a dollar, several dollars, a monthly donation, whatever you want to donate to uh, the ministry uh, of the Warriors Cry. I'd really appreciate it. Uh, that money will basically go towards um, allowing the podcast to get some awesome guests on. I'm going to try to get John Crowder on because I'd love to have a conversation with the guy. Um, I would love to really sit down and, and just talk with him. Of course, I still want to get Stephen Furtick on, and I want to get some other people on, people that I don't necessarily fully agree with. And and all of that kind of stuff. Because the point of this podcast is not uh, for me just to espouse what I believe, but to have an open dialogue and communication with people from different parts of the faith so that we can understand and kind of grow from that, right? So, um, but anyway, I'm going to end it here. I love you guys so deeply with all my heart. I love you guys. Um, let us take advantage of the, the fact that we are dead to sin. Let us take advantage of that fact and walk as if we're no longer fearful that that sin is right over our shoulder seeking to, to bring us down. If sin presents itself to us, we should turn away from it. We should turn away. Um, one final thought, and I shared this on my personal Facebook page this week, uh, and, and I kind of got it from another guy that I've been following on Facebook, uh, Keith Giles. Um, and, you know, hopefully maybe I'll have him on the podcast at some point. I don't know. Um, but anyway, he made a comment. He said, you know, what if there were no Bibles? How would people know about Jesus? And, you know, the idea of that just kind of like shocked me a little bit. What if there was no Bible? People that are out there boxing God in to the Bible would then have no Bible to box him in with. So how would we know that God exists if not for the experiences that God gives us, if not for um, the gifts that he pours out upon all my, mankind? How would we know? In the Old Testament, there were scrolls, 
you know, and, and there were these things that were written by different prophets. Um, but the thing is, is that we don't know how prevalent that stuff was in those times. And before Moses, most of the Old Testament wasn't even written. I think Job might have been written before Moses, but um, but before Moses, most of the stuff wasn't even written down. You know, you had Genesis, Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, uh, and Judges, I think, or I could be wrong about that. But anyway, um, the first five books of the Old Testament weren't even written, and that tells of the creation, that tells of Israel, they're overcoming Egypt, and um and, and, and all of that kind of stuff talks about Joshua and, and, and all of that. So if the Bible didn't exist, what would we put our faith in? Because I think a lot of us put our faith in a leather-bound book when we should be putting our faith in the one who inspired that book, the one who inspired the writers of that book. We should put our faith in the one above not the one on the page necessarily, right? And I know that sounds like heresy. That sounds crazy, right? But if we had no Bible, what would we put our faith in, right? So instead, let's turn our face to Christ and let's pray and seek his face and and let his face shine upon us and give us peace. And remember, remind ourselves every day that we are dead to sin, Read Romans 6 every day. I'm going to commit to doing that uh, every day this year. Um, and, and I may forget, I'll be honest, I'm not a very uh, uh, on top of things. You know, I, I committed last week that I was going to be better about my show notes, and I still haven't done my show notes for last week or several episodes before that. Um, but the fact of the matter is, uh, I need to be better. And um, as a result, I'm going to commit to doing this every day. And I want to have discussions with you on facebook.com forward slash the Warriors Cry. Go there, like the page, uh, and all of that. And uh, let's see what develops uh, when we can walk free from sin and we no longer fear that sin nipping at our heels like we have for so long. Anyway, I love you guys. Um, May God bless you and may he keep you. Let, him, let his face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.